The Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that you speak to us through your word. We thank you that your word is word of promise, and we thank you that uh, you fulfilled your promises. We pray that you help us now uh, to see that in your word. We pray that your spirit, who, who caused these words to be written, will be working in our hearts, uh, so that we would respond to you rightly. We pray in Jesus' name. Sometimes it looks like God doesn't keep his promises. Doesn't it? Now, there may be all kinds of reasons for that. Some people genuinely think God promised them something which he didn't. And then when it actually do- doesn't actually happen, then they, you know, they get really disappointed. Sometimes there are promises that are in the Bible. But people get it wrong. They take a verse from the Bible, they divorce it from its context, and they claim it as a promise. And then when God doesn't do it, then they get disappointed. But there are times when God actually does promise things in the Bible. Things that we can be sure are promises from God. Just as sure as when God appeared to Abraham and made him promises. How can we be sure God will keep his promises? And what do we do when it feels like he isn't going to do it? We've all worked out that after the break for Good Friday and Easter, we're back to our series for the book of Genesis. And you may recall that back in Genesis chapter 12, God made Abraham some really big promises. Does anyone remember what those promises were? Promise to Abraham in Genesis 12. Anybody? Bible college lecture is not allowed. Alright? What did God promise Abraham? Can't hear you. You don't have a mic. Well, you have to speak loud. Nation. Right? God promised Abraham a great nation. So many, many descendants. People. Great nation. Okay, number two. Land. Okay, that this nation would receive the land that God was going to give him. God told Abraham, leave the land where you are. He was in Ur. Come to the land where I will show you. And he was going to give that whole land to, the, to, to, the, to, to his descendants. Land. And what's the third thing? Blessing. Okay, I will bless you. And not only blessing for Abraham, but that through Abraham and his seed, all the nations of the world would be blessed. And Abraham obeyed God. He moved to the land, land of Canaan. Didn't belong to him. He was a sojourner, an alien in the land. He got lots of material blessings. God made him a wealthy man. But he did not have an heir. And he was already in his mid-80s. How would God give him many descendants when he didn't even have one child to pass his name on to? Well, at the suggestion of Sarah, his wife, Abraham took Hagar, his slave girl. And Sarah thought Hagar would be a surrogate mother for her, but then Hagar despised Sarah when she became pregnant. Saw herself superior. Sarah mistreated her. Hagar ran away. She nearly died in the desert, but God rescued her. Sent her back to Sarah. 
And she gave birth to Abraham's first son, Ishmael. And when Abraham was 99, God spoke to him again. Set up the covenant of circumcision. Every boy born to Abraham or in his household, from then on would be circumcised on the eighth day. Abraham was circumcised at that point. He was 99. Ishmael was 12. God affirmed his promises to give Abraham many descendants. Abraham wanted God to use Ishmael, but God had other plans. He was going to give him a son through Sarah. Abraham laughed quietly at this thought, but God insisted and said his name would be Isaac, which means he laughs. Another occasion, God came to Abraham again. This time he gave him the time frame, one year before the birth of the boy. It was Sarah's turn to laugh from where she was eavesdropping. But God knew. And the God who knew her mind would also protect her when Abraham put her in danger in chapter 20. And the same Almighty God would also open her womb and give her a son as was promised. We pick up the story, beginning of chapter 21. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. And so we see that God fulfilled his promise. Abraham and Sarah have been waiting years and years and years and years. And now finally, God has fulfilled his word. And in response, Abraham did what God commanded him. He gave the boy the name that God had chosen for him. Gave him the sign that God had, had, uh, had commanded him in verse, two, uh, verse 3 and 4. Abraham called the name of his son to be born, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. And then the writer adds, verse 5, that Abraham was a hundred years old when his son was born. A hundred years old. How long had God taken to fulfill his promise? Well, when we heard about the promise back in Genesis 12, Abraham was 75. Right? At that point, he was in Haran. As he was in Haran. He leaves Haran and the promises there are actually a flashback to something earlier. So it's at least 25 years Maybe 30, 40, who knows? That's a long time to be waiting for God to fulfill His promise, isn't it? And there were many times in this time when it looks like God, God wasn't going to do that. When they were waiting and waiting and waiting and there was no word from God for many, many years. When Abraham got old, Sarah got old, they couldn't have children normally anymore. It looked like God was going to, not going to fulfill his promise. When Abraham put his wife in danger by passing her off as his sister, not once but twice, it looked like Sarah was not going to be the mother of the nation. When Abraham fathered Ishmael instead, it looked like this just, the whole thing was going to end up in some kind of compromise situation. Fulfillment of God's plan by the efforts of man and, and, and God's purposes would be thwarted and, because God hasn't properly fulfilled his promise. And, but God's not like that. What he says, he will do. And at the end of the day, God fulfilled his promise to Abraham. 
He waited until it was, it was clearly impossible for Abraham and Sarah to have children together. And then he gave them the promised son. So it was overwhelmingly evident that this was his doing. The son of promise was his gift. And not something that Abraham and Sarah could achieve by themselves. And friends, God always keeps his promise. He kept his biggest promise to send, to send the Messiah, the Lord Jesus. God promised and promised and promised him throughout the Old Testament. And the Old Testament was completed 400 years before Christ and, and still no Saviour. And God said nothing for 400 years. And it looked like he wasn't going to keep his promise. It looked like he'd forgotten his people. God promised that the descendant of David would, would, would be on the throne, but there was no Davidic king. By the time Jesus was born, there was a puppet king controlled by the uh, Roman colonial powers, but he wasn't the son of David. And it looked like God wasn't keeping his promises. Until one day an angel visited a young virgin woman named Mary. And said, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. Just like Isaac, Jesus was the son of promise. Just like Isaac, Jesus was conceived in a supernatural way. For just like Isaac, he would be the chosen one to carry the promises of God. But not just carry them, fulfill them. And just like Isaac, when God gave us that promised son, he did it in such a way that it was overwhelmingly evident that this was his doing. The son of promise, the saviour, was his gift. Not something the human race could, could achieve by ourselves. Friends, we can trust God to keep his promises. What has God promised us? God has promised us forgiveness of sins. God has promised us eternal life. God has promised that Jesus will return to put all wrongs right, to, to judge the world, to take us to be with Him forever. He has promised us a new creation where there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. And sometimes it looks like God isn't going to keep his promise. Sometimes when we look at the world, it looks like it's just going to go on and on and on forever. It looks like Jesus is never going to come back. After all, it's already been 2,000 years, nearly, isn't it? But friends, if there is one thing we know for certain, it's that God keeps his word. What he says he will do, there will be an end, and God will make us his people in his place. Under his blessing and rule forever. Sometimes that's, that's hard to believe. Sometimes we go through times that are so tough that, that we feel all alone, even though God promised to be with us. Sometimes we can feel so burdened by guilt that we, that we think God is angry with us, even though God has promised that he has exhausted his anger on his son. 
Sometimes we are paralyzed by fear that, that other people will reject us. Even though we know that God has promised to accept us completely in Jesus. Sometimes we even wonder what will happen when we die. Even though we know that God has promised eternal life for those who trust in Him. But brothers and sisters, God has shown over and over and over again that He can be trusted. That He does what He promises. He keeps His word. Before this baby was conceived, God already had a name in mind for him. Remember, Isaac means he laughs. But remember how it spoke of the imperfection of Abraham's faith and Sarah's faith? Can you guys hear me clearly at the back? Is it okay? You can hear? Okay. They laughed when God made his promises to them. And that's not something, that's not something to be proud of, is it? Yes, imagine every time you call the name of your son, you're reminded by your, about your lack of faith. But Sarah, she's very clever. She puts a positive twist to it. All right, so you look at chapter 21, verse 6. Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. You see, she's changed, isn't it? But Sarah's laughter of, of disbelief has now become a laughter of joy. God has fulfilled His promises in spite of her limited faith. He has, he has done the unthinkably good, in fact. In verse 7, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah wouldn't have children? Who, who indeed? It was fucking, it's, it's really amazingly bizarre. This old lady is going to nurse a child. Who would have thought? Who would have said? Yet, I have borne him a son in his old age. Not only does God do the impossible, He does the outlandish, the bizarre, the, the fantastic for His people. And friends, that is what God has done for us in Christ. Who would have thought that when, when this race of creatures rebelled against him that God would become one of us to rescue us from our own evil folly and its consequences I mean what kind of God does that? it's bizarre why, why should God bother? and yet God actually became man to deal with our sin Jesus died on the cross to take our punishment so we can be freely forgiven who would have thought that God would deal with rebels in that way? Who would have imagined, as we sometimes sing, that God himself should die for such as us, to give us new life? That is something to celebrate. That is something to laugh about. God has fulfilled his promises in an outlandish way for us. He has so generously give us, given us of himself. And now we have the joy of, of knowing him, of being known by him, of having our sins forgiven. Of being accepted by Him. Of having an eternal inheritance with Him forever. That is something to rejoice in, friends. Like the Israelites. 
who rejoiced in their salvation when God saved them. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream, and then our mouth was filled with laughter, and our tongues with shouts of joy, and they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. And so we are. half time aha you wish ok next point God's promises on Ishmael right so far so good isn't it as, but as the boy grows uh, there are problems uh, the next scene is probably about three years later once again it's occasion of joy uh, but this time there is also laughter of another kind. In verse 8. And the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham, laughing. Now the word laughing there, the way it's written actually has a, a negative connotation. It's laughing in a, in a sinister, mocking kind of way. It's how the word written in that particular way is often used in the Bible. And furthermore, in Galatians 4, we, we read that, that Ishmael persecuted Isaac. So it confirms a negative, negativity here. Remember how Hagar had, had looked down on Sarah before? Well, now her son is doing the same thing. So Sarah comes to Abraham and says in verse 10, Cast out this slave woman with her son. He doesn't even name them. For the son of the slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. Son of the slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And we know from law codes from about the time that children born to the slave woman could inherit the estate of the deceased together with the children of the primary wife. However, if the slave woman was given her freedom together with her children, then, then she was free. She, was, she goes off and they're not, the, the relationship is, is over and the children will not share the estate with the children of the former master. Does that make sense? So what Sarah is saying is this. God, God's covenant promises are through Isaac. This boy doesn't have a share in them. So, cast off the slave woman, give her her freedom, don't have anything, send her away, so that her son doesn't become a co-heir with Isaac, because it's through Isaac, you see. Now, what does Abraham think of this? Well, Abraham doesn't like the idea. Verse 11. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. You see, Ishmael wasn't Sarah's son, she didn't really care for him, but he was Abraham's son. He was still Abraham's son. And Abraham still loved him and so when the wife says get rid of that slave woman and her son he's understandably upset he's angry, he's hopping mad 
But then comes a surprise. What does God say in verse 12? Be not displeased because of the boy and because of the sla- your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. God, God actually supports Sarah here. God's plan was for, was for Isaac to be Abraham's heir. Through Isaac, his offspring would be counted. And so God says, do what she says. Send Hagar and Ishmael away. God's tough, isn't he? Not everyone has a share in his plan to save the world. Not everyone has chosen to be part of the Abrahamic promise to bless the nations. It's tough. But you know, God still loves those who are not chosen. God is not heartless to them. He cares for Ishmael even more than Abraham does. He, in fact, he actually made a whole set of promises for Ishmael himself. Back in chapter 17, verse 20, God promised to bless Ishmael. Unlike Isaac, Ishmael doesn't inherit the promise to be a blessing to all the nations, but does have his own promise to become a great nation. You multiply him greatly in verse 20. Your father, twelve princes. And back in our reading in chapter 21, verse 13, God reiterates his promise. I and I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. God God still has a plan for Ishmael. He will survive and he will be blessed. God will look after him. But Abraham will have to trust God for Ishmael's future. Just like in the next chapter, he will have to trust God for Isaac's future. He will have to let go. He'll have to send him off. And trust God to look after him, as he said. Would Abraham trust God to do that? Would he be willing to let go for the sake of of God's plans to bless the world through Isaac? Would he follow through on God's tough call and trust him? Verse 14. So Abram rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water. It's about 15 liters. Not very much. Gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder, along with the child, and sent her away. Right, the shoulder, the child is not on the shoulder, the skin of water is on the shoulder, right? And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. It doesn't look that, like they're going to last very long in the wilderness, does it? How long is 15 liters of water going to last you? And once again we are asking, is God going to keep his promises? Or will this mother and son die in the desert? Once again it looks like God will not be faithful. Once again it looks like God is 
not going to keep his word, but, well, it certainly looked like that to Hagar. In fact, in verse 15 to 16, when the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes, dehydrated sun, in the shade. And then verse 16, she went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bow shop, where she said, let me not look upon the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. You've got to feel sorry for her, don't you? A few minutes ago, we heard the sound of laughter. And now the sound of this bitter weeping. The weeping of a rejected woman. The desperate cries of a mother who is about to lose her son. And can do nothing about it. She's not the only one who's been crying for help. Ishmael has been as well. We know that from what God says in verse 17. God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up! Lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Do you notice one phrase that's repeated here? You get it twice? God heard the voice of the boy. See, God's drawing our attention to that. He wants us to think about that. God heard the voice of the boy. We didn't hear the voice of the boy, did we? Because we were with Hagar, she was crying some distance away. But God heard. Let me ask you. Do you ever feel isolated? Ever feel alone? Like no one is with you? No one listens, no one cares, no one, no one understands the, the anguish of your heart. There was Ishmael, sent out by his father. Abandoned by his mother as she couldn't bear to see him die. Dying alone. But God heard him. Friends, you may recall from a couple of months back that the name Ishmael means God hears. He was named that because God heard his mother when she cried in the desert alone. And now he he learns that lesson for himself. God hears. So know this, my friend. My brother, my sister in Christ. You are not alone. You are never alone. You may feel alone. Maybe abandoned. Left. Rejected by man. But if you belong to Jesus and you have this promise, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. God hears. God cares. God keeps his promise. Psalm 27 verse 10. But my father and my mother have forsaken me. But the Lord will take me in.
God was going to keep his promise to Ishmael. Verse 19, he saves them. God opened Hagar's eyes and she saw a well of water. She went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And, well, we don't know what happens after that. But we've got... But now that he grows up, verse 20 tells us that God was with the boy when he grew up, as he grew up. He lived in the wilderness. Became an expert with a bow. The wilderness he lived in was the wilderness of Paran, which is just south, the south of the Promised Land on the way to Egypt. Hagar did what a single mum does. Did what the father would normally do in their culture. Find a wife. Find him a wife from Egypt, it says, where she came from. Just like Abraham later would look for a wife for Isaac from where he came from. Well, do you want to know what happened to Isaac, uh, Ishmael in the end? I mean, it's in chapter 25. We, if you want to, we'll wait until we get there in a few weeks, or you want to look at it now. What do you want to do? You want to know now? Or you want to wait? Who wants to know now? One or two? Who wants to wait? Okay. This is a decision by a very small minority here. We'll go to chapter 25. Page 23, chapter 25, verses... Verse 12. These are the generations of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Hagar the Egyptian, Sarah's servant, brought to Abraham. These are the names of the sons of Ishmael, named in the order of their birth. Nabaioth, firstborn of Ishmael. Kedar, not to be confused with the northern state in Malaysia. Adbil, Mipsam, Mishma, Duma, Masa, Hadad, Temar, Jetur, Nafish, and Kedema. These are the sons of Ishmael, and these are their names by their villages and by their encampments. Twelve princes, according to their tribes. These are the years of the life of Ishmael, 137 years, eh? not just 12, 13 years. He breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people. They settled from Havilah to Shur, where his opposite Egypt in the direction of Assyria, he settled over all his kinsmen. He God kept his promise. God looked after Ishmael, did what he said he would. Just before we go to the last part of chapter 21 there's one more thing we need to consider from, from this passage this passage is about Abraham, it's about Isaac about Ishmael, it's about God's promises but the relationships that we see here profoundly parallel some things in the New Testament our New Testament reading from Galatians picked up that passage and showed us that didn't it See, Isaac was the son of promise. The son that came supernaturally. Not by Abraham's works, but by God's grace. Ishmael was the son that came from the flesh. The natural son of Abraham. Who was born not because of God's promise, but because of Abraham's own effort. And so the contrast between Isaac and Ishmael parallels the New Testament contrast between believing in God for salvation the outcome of believing in God for salvation and the outcome of working for it does that make sense? in Genesis the product of works was, was Ishmael the son of the slave woman 
The gift of grace was Isaac, the son of the free woman. Now the Sinai covenant, the covenant God made with Israel 500 years later, in the end, was, was one of works. Of course there was grace there. Grace started it. But then what happens after that? God says, do this and you will live. Right? Works in the middle. And so in that sense it was like this, this side, this, this whole Ishmael thing. The new covenant is, is one of grace. It's not about performance, it's about God's promise. So in a similar sense it is like, it's like Isaac. And just like the slave woman persecuted the son of the free woman, so too the Jews, and even some of the Jews who, who called Jesus their Messiah, persecuted the people of the new covenant in Paul's day. Because they wanted us Gentiles to get circumcised before we could be counted as Christians. They wanted us to pull us back into, into law keeping and works. It's a way of getting right with God. And so like Sarah said to Abraham, Paul said to the Galatians, and the Spirit says to us, cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. In other words, you can't have circumcision, you can't have works as a means of getting right. Stand firm, do not submit to slavery again. Trust in Christ is the only way to be saved. Don't add circumcision or other Jewish laws or rituals to it. See, brothers and sisters, we, are, we too are free. We are, we are not children of slavery, not from the works, but the children of promise, like Isaac. Right with God through faith, by trusting in Jesus alone. We must never go back to religious observance or performance or even morality and works as a way of, of being right with God. There will always be pressure to. There will always be temptation to. The son of the slave woman also will always persecute the son of the free. Cast them out and give them the place. The son of the free woman shall not inherit with the son of the slave woman. Does that make sense? Okay. Back to our passage then. Genesis 21, the last bit. Abraham's promise and God. You see, Abraham is normally on the receiving end of promises so far, but in the last part of the chapter, he actually makes one uh, to a king called Abimelech. Now, we met Abimelech two weeks ago. And when we're looking at the previous chapter, remember Abimelech was the king that Abraham had lied to. Abraham told him that Sarah was his sister. And Abimelech had taken Sarah into his home. God intervened, warned Abimelech to give her back. Also told Abimelech to ask that Abraham was a prophet, ask him to pray for you. Abimelech returned Sarah together with a small fortune, or not so small fortune. And he gave Abraham freedom to live in his land. Abraham prayed for him and God not only healed him, but he also allowed all the women of Abimelech's household to have babies again because God had stopped them. That's the background to, to Abimelech. Now, Abimelech and his right-hand man decide to come and pay Abraham a visit. They knew Abraham was a man of God. But what they weren't so sure about was whether he was an honest man of God. He knew from bitter experience that 
Abraham had cheated, had lied to him in the past. And he also knew that Abraham shouldn't be crossed because God was with him. Those who cursed him were cursed and those who blessed him were blessed. As God promised. So let's have a look and see what Abimelech and his guy want. Verse 22. At that time Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Now, therefore, swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity, but as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. That's, that's not a lot to ask, is it? Really? Honesty and kindness. In fact, it's a bit embarrassing that the man of God will have to swear to be honest. Isn't it? Shouldn't it be necessary? And Abraham had failed in this area with Abimelech before, and so he had to. But it would have been much better if, in the words of Jesus, he'd let his yes be yes and his no be no. The second thing Abimelech asked for was kindness or grace. Abimelech had shown grace to Abraham earlier. Instead of punishing him for lying, he'd given him very, very, very generous gifts and privileges that he didn't deserve. That is grace. And now he wants Abraham to treat him and his people kindly, asking, please, be kind to us in return. Oh, that's pretty reasonable. Abraham says in verse 24, yeah, I will swear. But before the covenant is ratified, Abraham raises another issue. His chance to, maybe his chance to sort out something that's been bugging him. In verse 25, when Abraham reproved Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized, Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, and I have not heard of it until today. Probably had some little Napoleon in his middle management who had taken it on himself to you know, make life a bit difficult for the sojourner in the area. So he says, no, that's not, not, not me. I'll put that right. So, verse 27, Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two of them made a covenant. Abraham set seven new lambs of the flock apart. And Abimelech asked Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven new lambs that you have set apart? And he said, These seven new lambs you will take from my hand, that this may be a witness for me that I dug this well. They agree. By taking those seven lambs, Abimelech acknowledges that this well is Abraham's. Abraham and Abimelech swear an oath, honesty and kindness. Verse 21. Therefore the place was called Beersheba. Could mean well of seven because the seven lambs or well of both. The place was called Beersheba because both of them swore an oath. So they made a covenant at Beersheba. Then Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of the army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham would have known by now that God keeps his promises, wouldn't he? Very, very clearly. And to be like God in his character, well, Abraham would have to keep his promises as well. Because it's not just God who speaks words, and gives his word, people do too. What, 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 what promises have you made? 
Well, some of you are married here, and if you're married, then you've made all kinds of promises, haven't you? Those are important promises. How are you going and keeping them? You make all kinds of promises. You give your word in all kinds of ways every day. Work, your family, what contracts have you signed, what verbal assurances have you given? Do we keep our word? God keeps his promises even when it looks like he's not going to. If we're going to be like him, then we need to be faithful. Do the same. Abraham must have known by now that God keeps his promises. But you know, there are still many promises that were not fulfilled. Abraham continued to live in the land. Now he's got free access to water. Now he's got a covenant with a king there. He's even, verse 33, planted a tree there. Calls on God there. The land is still not his. In verse 34, he still sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. He's still an alien. And he knew he would be. God already told him he would be for, for the rest of his life. But if God keeps his promises, then Abraham knew that God would give that land to his descendants. And we know that he did. Let me close by reminding us that like Abraham, we are aliens and sojourners in this world. We are here temporarily. But God has promised us a new heaven and new earth. He has promised us a permanent home with Him. So let's trust God to keep His promise. Even when it looks like He won't. And let us treat the people of this world with the honesty and kindness that He wants us to. As we wait for Him to do that.